the Spud Goodman Radio Show. And here is the studio orchestra of the Spud Goodman Show, sartorially regaled in sequined jumpsuit and cantilevered pompadour, the world's only accordion-playing Elvis impersonator, Accordion Joe. Here comes the Spud Man, it goes down easy. Because to you who, the social outcast, yes, you who are rejected, he wants you, he needs you, he loves you. Here comes the Spud Man, it goes down easy. Here comes the Spud Man. It's the Spud Goodman Show. Let's get ready, Trumbo. And here he is, the head cheese meister. It's Spud Goodman. Greetings, Andar Ola. I am Spud, Spud Goodman. <laughs> Spud Goodman. <laughs> We're very pleased you have chosen to spend a few minutes with us. You know, though we don't offer a full 100% refund of your time, should you be an unsatisfied listener, I will at this moment say this in advance. Sorry, my bad. Okay then, let's now introduce our show's desi- designated laugher, my Aunt Dorothy. Please give us a heartfelt chortle. <laughs> well, I am very pleased with that effort, and I don't feel a redo is necessary. What do you think? I would agree. Totally. Uh, well done. Great. And, and now I'm obligated to acknowledge our show's temporary permanent co-host, uh, Mr. Gerald Holcomb. Uh, give the audience a high five, and let's move on here. Well, I mean, how, how does one high-five radio listeners? I, I'm not clear on how to do that. What the hell, yo? No worries. It, it's the thought that counts. I mean, you well, wanted to give each and every one of our you know, listeners a high-five, and even though that's so 1995, and, and you know, they're just going to have to evaluate whether they feel it's a sincere expression of warmth or just a false display of, of dated frat boy antics. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's a very sincere expression, but anyone who knows me is well aware I'm a big high-fiver, often to total strangers. Yeah, I know, and that is very creepy. Oh, yes, I agree. But really? I'm going to move on, move forward here. There's a topic I wanted to discuss on the show. Uh, I read an article on Facebook, and I don't think this one was served up by some Russian bot. Russia, if you're listening. I mean, it could have been, but I'm pretty sure a real American wrote it. Oh, are you going to bring up the ratings for Megan Kelly's new show? I feel so bad for her. You know, my wife and I love Megan's show. No, right? no, no. The article was about something I've been hearing about lately, white privilege. I found it interesting. Mm. As you know, I am white, and I guess I'm pretty privileged as I don't have like a regular job where I would have to actually work for a living. Courtney, Chloe... I do remain amazed you've been able to pull this off for so many years, Spud. I always thought someday you'd have to grow up and get a real job. You know, I've read about that term, white privilege, but I'm not real sure what it means. I'm a white man. I don't feel privileged. I've worked for everything I have. I mean, I currently hold two jobs here and, of course, at South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum. South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum. You know, I've taken note of that free plug for your other place of employment. It will be dealt with uh, when we're off the air. Uh-oh. But back to the topic, just because, you know, you have a couple of jobs, it doesn't mean you aren't the beneficiary of a white privilege. Dinner is served. The way I understand it from the article, you and I were born at least on second base. You know, I did play Little League Baseball as a young boy, so <laughs> I think I understand your reference, but little I was born into a family who believed in the American dream. I like to feel I embody that dream. Americans love a winner. 
I mean, I'm a co-host of a radio show on a number of radio stations heard around the world. Uh, temporary co-host. Yeah, well, temporary permanent co-host. And I, I really don't buy this premise about white privilege. I bet it's all a big PR campaign paid for by George Soros. He wants to distract us so Hillary Clinton's crimes will be forgotten. Oh, uh, brother. Your distractor-in-chief Trump was, was born cross and home plate. Actually, he never even had to bat, as his dad, a rich slumlord in Queens, hired a DH to knock a fat peach out, pitch out of the park you uh -huh. know, for him. Jeez, I mean, he sort of bypassed that American dream and went to the head of the line at birth. You're going to get so tired of winning, you're going to say, Mr. President, President, please, we don't want to win anymore. It's too much. Yeah, and right now I doubt he could even get to first base without a golf cart. All right, all really? right. Yes, Donald Trump was fortunate to have been born into a family of great wealth. But let's just say, if he was born into poverty on the wrong side of the track somewhere, that he would have not let that stop him from being the most successful businessman ever. The art of the deal would have still been written. What are you people? On dope? Uh, yeah, but he might have been selling something other than real estate to get by. And well, for the record, for a buttload of other current, you know, day movers and shakers, it would be more than embarrassing for them if, if we took a peek into their family business tree to just see how their relatives made their money after arriving in this country. Uh, you do know the luck of the draw is a little stack for people that look like us, okay? That's true. Um, I, I mean, know. can anyone win the lottery? Sure. B but it helps if you're an old, retired white person, as I always win. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, how many old, retired Hispanic or black people have you seen, seen like, win the Powerball? Come well, on, how many? Hey, well, mm. I do have to say I've never won the lottery, but I did win 100 bucks on a pull tab a few years ago. Well, I'm just saying That's that most good. of us white people in America, you know, the ones with jobs, at least, have to say, man, are we lucky. Uh, you again. Know, I, I know when I was younger, I, I sure wouldn't have enjoyed always being worried about being pulled over while driving to the grocery store or the mall. And you know, now I never worry at my age, as the only people they pull over are older black guys. Uh-huh. Driving while black can be challenging for sure and expensive, too. Uh, you know, I also was almost stopped, but after I pulled over for the siren, it turned out just to be an ambulance. Hey, 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 you shut your face! Well, that must have been a chilling experience. It, it was troubling. Uh, to be continued here, so now it's time for me to introduce our musical guest, who I'll, we'll be speaking with a little later on in the program. They have a brand new record out titled All the Way. Here are... Danny Newcomb and the Sugar Makers.
Gunman Show. This is the Spud Gunman Show. Hi, this is Barbara Eden. And how in the world did I end up with Spud Goodman on his show? Oh, well, I'll go back in my bottle. Spud, yeah. your first guest, Chris Matthews, is waiting to speak with you. Now, he is the host of that show on MSNBC, right? Yep, Hardball. Good show. You know, he has a new book on Bobby Kennedy that's out that I'm going to go over it with him, you know, to discuss it. Oh, well, if you say so. Yeah, I got to tell you, I haven't seen Chris's show myself because we don't watch MSNBC in our home. It's way too liberal. We're coming for you, globalist! I thought you said the same thing about CNN and, and about the network news, too. Everything can't be fake news. Well, you, you really need to, to leave your bubble and see what the other side has to say. You, you might be surprised to see some actual reporting and not just Trump press releases regurgitated on that other news channel you're always glued to. Uh, yeah, I, I know. You continue to make jokes about Sean Hannity and his close relationship with President Trump, but his show serves a real purpose in this country, you know, as far as getting the truth out you think we're bad for america you think yeah. i'm bad for america i've always found sean hannity to be a wannabe rush limbaugh without the opiates and viagra uh, but uh, i do think sean works without ped so he gets a few bonus points p please do not take rush's name in vain mm. uh, just put chris through and you might pick up something from this guy as he's really sharp yeah very well here he is Please welcome author and talk show host Chris Matthews to the show. Thanks for checking in with us. Hey, thank you, Spud. It's great to be on. Super. So, out there. Yeah. So you have a new book out titled Bobby Kennedy, A Raging Spirit, published by Simon & Schuster and available everywhere. So, Chris, if there ever was a time when we needed true leadership, it would kind of be now. And if Bobby were still with us today, do you think he could possibly put our fractured country back together? Well, you know, he had a great phrase the night that Dr. King was killed. He was talking to a black audience in Indianapolis, and he had to tell him. The king had just been shot by a white racist, and he said, we have to make an effort. And I think making an effort is a pretty good proposition uh, for white people and black people. We've got a race problem that has never gone away in this country. I think President Trump has exploited it, and he's heated it up with regard to African Americans going after Obama as a, some sort of illegal immigrant, going after Mexicans as criminals and rapists, going after all Muslim people as, as terrorists, all of them. I think that has not helped this country. And I think Bobby was always trying to unite. I mean, he would—he made an effort, I guess, for political reasons, but also moral reasons. He was always trying to bring blacks and whites in the, together in the same cause, especially working-class people. And uh, I think he had some moral authority. I think that's what we're missing. Someone that when they go on TV, they can actually say, you know, uh, this is the right thing to do, and that's the wrong thing to do. And I really think, not being preachers, but... Our political leaders have to have a moral compass. They have to be able to know the difference between right and wrong and these uh, racial issues and social issues. And, you know, I think Bobby would have tried. I'm not sure he would have succeeded, but he, he would have said, here's a guy trying. This little guy, five foot eight, uh, wiry, skinny, but incredibly energetic, and a good church-going guy who was raising his kids that way. And, I, you know, saying the rosary every night. I mean, there's something about him that would be great to have. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it'd be good. You know, if he were with us, you know, he he would be vulnerable to attack from the so-called like non-mainstream media, whatever the hell that means. But you know, I mean, he, he had flaws like any person, and, and his father's you know business history and political tactics were a bit onerous. But he, but he could unite. He could unite across you know the, the racial and economic lines of this country, and that really did freak out a certain segment of America, didn't it? 
Well, Nixon had this amazing line in the I put it in the book where Nixon, uh, when Bobby announces, uh, he says, says, let me read this. It's so weird. And Nixon, Nixon uh, just couldn't believe it. He's talking to, when he's watching Kennedy, he's in, he's in Oregon at the, at the Benson Hotel. And uh, Bobby's announcing for president on March, uh, March 16th of, of 1968. And Nixon's watching it. And it's almost like a, out of a weird sci-fi movie. Nixon's going, forces will be unleashed we cannot imagine. You know, I mean, the guys, uh, we, who knows where this is going to end. Even the people who didn't like him, opposed him politically, knew he meant what he said. And that's, that's pretty scary. I mean, for an opponent to say, this guy is not a BS artist. This guy is going to do what he says he wants to do. He was going to end the war in Vietnam. Yeah. End it. Yeah. And I think the, uh, and the, the war hawks were a little bit afraid of that because they didn't have a, anybody else running like that and saying, I'm going to end this. He was even stronger than Joe, Gene McCarthy. He... He said, I want a coalition government over there. We're going to have those people work together, and we're going to get out of there. Right. Well, you know, on the show, we're, we're discussing white privilege, and Bobby Kennedy pretty much defined that term, yet in his later years, you know, he, he devoted himself to addressing the, the inequities in our society. And I wanted you to contrast his response to coming from extreme wealth to that of one Donald J. Trump. From the beginning, he, um, you know, his, the kids he played with, Gene, his sister, his younger sister, told him a, a little book I got a hold of. He he would play his playmates. Now this is no big deal today, but it was a big deal in the '40s and the '30s. His playmates were black. He his the guys he played basketball with every day were the the, the sons of the um, of the work of the of servants of the Kennedy family. Those yes. were the kids he liked to play with, hang out with. He was comfortable with. Uh, you know, when he went to. Um, he went down to South, the University of Virginia Law School. He wanted to bring a black speaker down, uh, Ralph Bunch, the great Nobel laureate, the great statesman, mm-hmm. and all the other white students that are all politically ambitious down there in Virginia and the rest of the South. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. And he, he beat the drum. He went to the head of the school. He wrote the letter. He got him admitted. He got the school to, to integrate its audience for the first time because Bunch wouldn't come to talk to a white audience. He said, I want an integrated audience. And Bobby made the case. That night, Ethel and Bobby, they were married, just been married. They had a bunch stay overnight at the house, and the people throwing rocks at the window and everything, and he's, it was a scary night. There's some early examples of Bobby being Bobby way early on the race front. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think he, and like most jocks, he gets to play ball with, with African Americans, and he, uh, that helped too. I think he just, um, he was very democratic with a lowercase d. He wasn't, he didn't act like a rich kid. Right. Right. Say, Spud, you know, I like to think I, too, was exposed to cultural diversity as a young boy myself. Uh, hey, Chris, I need a brief moment here. What? Well, I, I know you've labeled me as the whitest co-host on the radio, but I quite often competed against many people of color way back when I entered the Duncan Yo-Yo contests. Oh, boy. I s- distinctly remember beating someone who I believe was Hawaiian or, or possibly from American Samoa. Okay, I stand corrected. You are maybe the second whitest co-host on radio. Is that, is that all you want to say? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I just wanted to make the point that while growing up, I did mingle at times with those that looked different than myself at the yo-yo competitions. Yes, I may have felt a bit intimidated at first, but when they were over, I did shake the hands of everyone. Wow, how inclusive of you. Thank you, Mrs. Jarvis. Uh-huh. Hey, just zip it and let me get back to Chris. All right, I'm back. Great. Um, well, on a lighter note, let me let me end with this. How does it feel to have your voice sampled maybe more times than anyone other than, say, James Brown? I mean, your ha 
is e- even a ringtone, man. I, w- I would give anything to be sampled. How cool is that, Chris? <laughs> well, I liked it. You know, I, I got, you know, I'm up in Boston, and a guy I worked with for years, I looked up to Kirk O'Donnell. I believe I picked it up from him. And I just, from working with him, it's one of those things you pick up, and you go, where'd that come from? And he had that sort of hack laugh, you know, that, ha! <laughs> you know, I actually could do it. And it's, um, it's now this reactive. I mean, it is... Well, it's I very cool. I Mattel Hammond used to do me on Saturday Night Live. I thought that was great, you know. Well, I'm a regular viewer, so could you just say, let's play hardball so I could use it on my phone machine? Okay, great. You know, some five-year-old kid watch, watches hardball. I, I heard about him. Just so I can, just so we can hear that every night. That's right. So, ready? Yes. One, two, three. Let's play hardball! That's so cool! All right, well, let me say again. Your new book, Bobby Kennedy, A Raging Spirit, published by Simon & Schuster, is now available everywhere. We want to thank you so much for coming on our show. It's number two in the country. Ah. Number two. Right oh. behind uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci. It's great stuff. Thank Super. You. Mr. Chris Matthews. The excitement continues on the Spud Goodman Radio Show following this brief intermission. This ain't government cheese, it's Spud. Goodman. My baby left me for another guy. She dug him because he had a meth lab in that double wide. Trailer down the street, he had a meth lab In that trailer down the street We now return to more action-packed thrills and excitement on the Spud Goodman Radio Show. You know, Spud, uh, yeah. I, I've been thinking more about this so-called white privilege. And, and I have to say, I still don't buy it. I know you've tried to paint President Trump as insensitive to the needs of those outside of his base. and I think uh, Yeah, a lot of the, pretty much. Yeah, but on many occasions, he discussed how bad it is in, say, uh, Chicago or in other inner cities in this country. He knows what places are safe in this country and what are total hellholes. Oh, boy. Yeah, he asked the blacks to give him a chance as what they did have to lose. You know, what did they have to lose was what he said. And they have no one to blame but themselves. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. But he is good buddies with Kanye, so there's that. Uh, you do know certain yeah. areas of this country didn't vote for Trump, but he still has to be president for them, too. It's like the guy thinks he's president for about 30 states and 38% of the population, and the rest of the country can just go screw themselves. And it only makes common sense. Listen, President Trump and his supporters don't feel obligated to cater to those who don't support his Make America Great Again agenda, and it doesn't make him or us racists. (laughs) Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Well, maybe not classic greatest hits racist, but maybe more like soft or squishy racist. No. no. You know, of course, it's people still you know, have acquaintances of color as, as they do have to function in society. But just because they don't burn crosses doesn't score them bonus points. Hey, I happen to have two friends currently who are not white. Uh, one is uh, Filipino and the other is, I think... Uh, like from India or or Pakistan, one one somewhere nice. over there. Anyway, they've both been to our house for gatherings. Oh, amazing. I'm not saying you are a white nationalist, well, but I'm not. even racist light people like you uh, and others uh, dig sports, 
music. And, and the movie's populated by people that look different than them, as long as those people keep their mouth shut about stuff. Yes! And you know, that article also said a whole lot of white dudes feel they are victims of reverse discrimination these mm. days. And hey, I won't lie, I would love to yell that too. It's actually kind of fun to point the finger and blame others. Not like sex fun, but more like watching a baseball game on TV fun. Yeah, well, I myself sort of fun. have a number of Will Smith movies in our family's tape library. And also, my wife loves Steve Harvey. Uh, really, okay. any of the shows Steve Harvey's on. And my oldest, Gerald Jr., has a poster of Tiger Woods on his bedroom wall. Come on, yo. Yeah, he thinks his first name is cool. Really, I don't think golfers count if you're keeping score. Yeah, hey, can uh, we get a caller, put someone through? As, as I want to get the views of our listeners, check and see if we have anyone. Is there, I, It's got to be somebody that's been hanging on. I don't know. Maybe. Okay, do do we have anybody? Oh, uh, okay, we do. Uh, can you put it through? All right, uh, Spud, there is a caller okay. ready to go. Hey, caller, you there? Uh, yeah, you know, so I've been listening, and I think you're way off on this one. I'm a white guy, and I don't have a racist bone in my body, but... Boy, am I tired of hearing about all the minorities and immigrants in this country getting the short end of the stick. They need to shut the hell up and be happy they don't live in Somalia. These guys, they make millions of dollars. They're smart as hell. Hey, can I ask about your family tree? What, what nationality are you? Um, mostly Irish, I think. Why? Uh, hey, you know, I'm 100% Scottish. Uh, both sides of my parents' family tree were from Scotland. My mother hey, always dude, used dude, to dude, we say- can talk about your family tree off the air. Oh. So, Caller, uh, were your relatives welcomed warmly when they got here to this country? Well, from what I heard from my mom, she said her grandparents caught help from people in their neighborhood for years, pretty much until the Italians started moving in. But you didn't see them marching in the streets saying their lives mattered more than anyone else's. Don't be so overly dramatic about it. Yeah, but I'm fairly sure they felt that their lives did matter as much as anyone else's, right? Yeah, well, okay, well, maybe so, but today I can't even watch a damn football game on Sundays without having to watch rich, ungrateful prima donnas act out in the sidelines during our national anthem. Mm. Okay, all right, but can I ask what uh, you do, you know, watching at home whenever the national anthem is shown on the screen of games? Well, me, I don't know. It's a, if it's right before kickoff, I'm probably getting some peanut brittle or hitting the bathroom or something, but I'm definitely not paid millions of dollars to play a frickin' game. Yeah, they're trying to make a point before they play a game in stadiums that are basically filled with obnoxiously drunk fans from hours of tailgating. So it's just my take, I don't know, that, that maybe it's not an appropriate venue to honor our country and its brave veterans. Uh, you know, they deserve better, I think, maybe. Uh, uh, hey, what are, you, what are you talking about? What's more American than a football game? Do you oh, hate this question. country, Spud? Are you a socialist? No, 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 I'm not. Not that I know of. Um, but, wow. you know, America was great long before last November. That's just, a, just you know, think about that for a bit. But I got to go. Um, thanks for checking in. All right? Yeah. Get rid of it, please. All right. Hey, and see if our next guest is ready. Uh, yeah, yeah, I will. Um, he was passionate. But, uh, uh, Spud, your yeah, next was. guest, Lori Metcalf, is holding for you. Uh, okay, man. You know, uh, this new movie Lori, Lori's in, Lady Bird, mm-hmm. is super hot right now. It stars uh, Saoirse uh, Ronan, and yes, I, I had to practice saying her first name. Uh, interesting spelling. Anyway, Lori co-stars in the movie as her mother, 
uh, and she is getting killer reviews, amazing reviews. Oh, I'm a huge Laurie Metcalf fan. Loved her in Roseanne and also in The Big Bang Theory. You know, my wife and I used to watch that Roseanne show way back, but that was before our kids were born. You know, we, we were dating, but I always felt Roseanne was too angry. She needed to be a better wife to her husband. I'm going to have to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there. Yeah, I don't think I'll be bringing that up with Lori. Um, Hey, did you know this woman has been nominated for 10 Emmy Awards? Think about it. That's incredible. Put her through, man. All right, here she is. Say hello to actress Lori Metcalf. Okay, I'm a longtime fan here, so thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you, Spud. Yeah. So you star in what is maybe the hottest indie film in some time, Lady Bird, now showing everywhere. I I say indie because there are no superheroes, kill robots, or apocalyptic events whatsoever. Dare I say in this movie? I said a movie. Okay, I just said a movie, not a film, because this one's going to appeal to just about everyone, correct? (laughs) Yeah, I I did this movie thinking, oh, you know, I really like it. I want to work with these people. I don't know if uh, it'll catch on with anybody. And then look at this. I mean, it has really, uh, people are really responding to it, and I'm just, uh, I'm really flattered and lucky to, be, to, to have been involved in it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the last time an indie film was an event, but this, this, the buzzer on this film is pretty amazing. Yeah, Greta Gerwig did a fantastic job on it, writing and directing it, and then she had a hell of a cast, too, starting with Saoirse. So was it loosely based on her relationship with her mom? A lo- like, loosely? Well, you know, she, she, um... She went to a Catholic high school, and she's from Sacramento, you know. Um, So those parallels are there. But uh, um, I don't know how much actually happened to her, you know, that happens in the movie. But she knew that she wanted it to be a love letter to Sacramento. And I think she knew that she didn't really like her character, like the character in the movie, didn't really appreciate it until she left it. I see. Okay, super. Well, you know, you began your acting career on stage, working with the Steppenwolf <laughs> Theater in Chicago, and I read you still prefer the theater to film and TV. So what's the attraction for you? It can't be the craft services, that's for sure. <laughs> you no, know, and it's not really the schedule either, because the you know doing the eight shows a week for about five months it gets, gets sort of long, feels, feels long after a while. But um, I don't know, maybe it's just because I came up in theater, so I, that I feel more comfortable doing it. Um, but also, I like the instant gratification of being on the stage, having mapped out how I want to tell the story, and then it's just between the actor and the audience, and there's no editor involved, you know, where you think, oh, but I thought my third take was better than my fourth take, but you used the fourth take. Okay, you know, I don't have any say in this. You know, um, and, and, and um, it's, it's hard for me to think it in on a uh, movie schedule of working so uh, out off schedule mm-hmm. you know we're going to shoot the ending first and then we'll do some stuff in the middle and then we're going to shoot the beginning scene and then we'll go back to the end again you know over the three months that you're shooting right very haphazard that way it feels like to me so i i feel like i never really have that much traction i kind of don't know where i am and i've done i've done and frankly i've done so little film that i just don't have the experience in it uh, you, you know, Spud, yeah. I, I don't want to make this about me, but I also prefer acting in the theater, too. Uh, just a second, Lori. Excuse me? Well, I also enjoy stage work. You may not be aware of my background doing community theater in my 20s. 
I did most of the great plays of the 20th century. Guys and Dolls, Oklahoma, The Music Man. Those are musicals. I didn't know you sang. Uh, oh, well, I was cast in the non-singing roles, but between you and me, I was never given a fair opportunity to showcase my vocal skills. Or maybe you just can't sing. Yeah, I think I'll go with that one myself. Now, listen, some Sunday, both of you should come to hear me in our church's choir. I'm not allowed to do any solos, but I do add a strong backing vocal to most of the hymns and the full choir does, you know? If you listen carefully, you'll hear me. (laughs) I bet. Hey, let me get back to Lori. All right. All right, I have returned. Well, let me hit you with this on another project of yours then. Uh, And I just want to say this. Your performance in the HBO series Getting On was freaking fantastic. I don't want to sound like a suck-up here, but I was severely bummed when it didn't return for a third season. I mean, you were nominated for an Emmy. You were nominated for an Emmy on the role. I missed that thing so badly. Uh, That was one of the highlights of my career. That that was a combination of uh, great scripts, really great casting, and uh, terrific showrunners. Um, writing them, it was, uh, it was, it was. Um, I, I, I just miss it to this day. The cast was so freaking amazing that I, I'm, who the hell made the call to cancel that? What a doofus! I know, I know. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. It couldn't have cost them very much. We were just, we never set foot outside that hospital. Really? Wow. <laughs> no exteriors anyway. at all, huh? Wow. <laughs> well, let, let, let's touch on your work on Roseanne. Now, you won three Emmy Awards playing her sister Jackie on the show. How, how different was the set on that show compared to the others that you've been a part of? It had to have been different. Uh, well, that was um, I. That, that was the first TV I'd ever done, and I had only done um, stage work. And so that was a huge learning curve for me to, to work that way where, you know, you rehearse during the day, and then they bring in all these cameras... And then on the last day, they have all these cameras plus a live audience and a guy who's the warm-up guy who's got them all, you know, in some fever pitch of, you know, wanting to clap and and laugh at every line that everybody says. It's so strange, strange way to shoot something. Um, it's, It's not like theater at all. It's not like a movie. It's just this weird hybrid, I guess. And so that I it took me a while to learn that. And then I never, though, got over my camera phobia, which is a shame. I don't like uh, things being recorded, which is another reason why I like theater, because, you know, it's generally it's generally never recorded. It's right. just, you know, just it just exists on that night with those people. Um, but I've been super fortunate to be able to bounce around a little bit between film, TV, and theater so that I don't accidentally burn out on one of them. Right. Uh, Well, 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 I guess my point leading into this is it's coming back, and if there was ever a time for the point of view of this show, it's now with our, our, I'll call him our current president. Uh, Does the new version of Roseanne uh, plan to deal with social issues of the day still? It does, it does, but it's not in a a heavy-handed way. Because I think that everybody want, wanted it for the, you know, for the, uh, just the entertainment factor, you know, to turn your brain off, you know, and just watch uh, this family that you either grew up with or, or, or spent a chunk of the nine years that they were on the air watching them and, and see, yeah, pick them up, plunk them down in 2017 and see where they are, revisit where they are. Um, are they in the same house? The kids are grown up. They've got kids of their own. So there's grandkids running around. 
um, what kind of jobs are they having now. But I think it's remained true, though, to the original, where the, the storylines are just sort of family-driven, and the writers are writing very true to the characters like they used to be. So we've done six of them so far. We have three more to go. And it has a little arc to it, but I don't know what that is. You know, it'll have a little ending to it because they knew we were only going to do nine. Um, that's for that's all you're going to do. That's it. That that will be the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and they'll be on in um, March, February, March. Super. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So, all right. Well. Yeah, I think everybody's at least going to be curious about it. You know, just it's just it it, it was so freaky that it felt like no time had passed at all as soon as we stepped onto the, that set again. All right, very cool. Well, let me close with this because I know you're busy here. Um, if you were omnipotent, Lori, and had the power to change one thing in the world today, what would it be? Um, it's a toss-up between healthcare and gun control. Yep. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the harder one. I'm going to take... Uh, I'm going to... Um, to solve gun control laws. Yeah, that's uh, very, very timely. Um, yeah. I don't know. For me, it'd be world peace, but and less flavors of Oreo cookies, as I'm, I'm, I'm totally overwhelmed right now shopping. <laughs> nice. But anyway, but yeah, gun control, I'm with you totally, and my God, it's, it's, it's long, long, long overdue. So anyway, all right, well, I know, I know you got to scoot, so let me remind our listeners that the amazing film that you co-star in, Lady Bird, is now showing around the country at a theater somewhere, so people need to go find it because they're going to love it. So anyway, we really, <laughs> really, really appreciate you coming on our show. Thanks, bud. Absolutely, Miss Lori Metcalf. For a genuine musical treat, tune in to the, the Spud Goodman Show, radio's famous program that takes you on a magic carpet of melody to a world of beauty. It's musical guest interview time. Say hey to Danny Newcomb and the Sugar Makers. Uh, hey, please go public with your birth names or street monikers and instrument <laughs> of choice. I'm Danny Newcomb. I play lead guitar. I sing lead voice. And uh, when mm. I drive, I'm the lead driver as well. Mm. <laughs> I'm Rick Friel. Danny says I play lead bass, so that must be true. Happy to be here. Seattle native in the house. All right. Super. Nice. And I'm Eric Eagle, and I play the drums. All lead right. drums. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, as stated previously, you have a new record out titled All The Way, available online at Think Indie, Bandcamp, and also at Real Live record stores. I mean, actual brick and mortar places. People yeah. need to just go ask for it. So I take it this thing wasn't written and recorded in like one day, right? It took like a couple days, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we worked on it for about a year and a half. We started oh. recording uh, Basics in Seattle about a, I don't know, about a year and a half ago, I guess, and I ended up recording most Dang. of it in my home studio. Wow. Okay. Well, the members of the Sugar Makers have a rather lengthy list of prior bands. Can you t all toss out a few of your past and man or current, you know, bands that you play in? Um, well, I, Danny, used to play in uh, Shadow, and uh, also played in the Rockfords, uh, and uh, in the '90s played in Goodness um, with Carrie Ockrey mm -hmm. and Chris Friel, um, and Rick. Well. Uh, Danny's the first guy I ever played with back in 1977 or 78, and we've been playing together ever since, and our first band was Shadow with Mike McCready and Chris Friel and Burko and myself and himself, and I was in the famous or infamous L. Steiner, and I'm also currently right now in Jamie Novoskaya, who was a current past guest. Yeah, you great band. You should tell band. a story about L. Great Steiner band. and the drumstick. <laughs> 
Well, uh, it's just terrestrial radio too. In addition to uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I just thought to toss that out. Yes, it was the heyday of the '90s, and uh, our singer Larry Stenner liked to get nude and cover himself in uh, body paint, and he was dancing on my brother's bass drum, and Chris tried to poke him with the drumstick, and it ended up in his butt cheek crack, and it kind of slowly went down and. He tried to give the stick back to my brother, and he's like, you know what? You can keep it. So I, I never played in that band, just for All the right, record. Super. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. How about you, Eric? Uh, yeah, I have played in uh, Jesse Sykes in The Sweet Hereafter, and I was also play, I played in The Lawnmowers right. amongst super. others. Okay. Well, let me ask you guys this. What's the number one pet peeve for each of you? And if it's a fellow member of the band, you can remain silent and just point at him? <laughs> Uh, you mean about being a musician? Uh, it just yeah, something that gets on your nerves. Well, I, I have this constant ringing sound. Okay, all right, mm. all right. Yeah, I wish I would have worn earplugs back in the day. That would have been nice. Uh, pet peeve of mine, because I drive for a living for Cafe Vita, is tailgaters. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well um, wait, well, wait, Eric. Well, I'll go with the driving thing too. I I can't stand it when people stop because there's someone walking down the sidewalk that could possibly cross the street without a crosswalk. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, last question. If the band could change one thing about the music business, what would it be, But well, besides banning ex-Disney stars from releasing records until they're <laughs> at least 30 or so? Um, well, we'd like to play in outer space. Oh, there you go. Wow. All right. I'd well, like to see more record stores uh, independently owned across the United States. That's, that's admirable. Okay, all right. Well, what's the name of the next song? The next song is actually coming out as a single next month on Mike McCready's label. Uh, his label is called Hockey Talk, and it's called King of Nothing. And um, when I wrote this song, my wife was like, is that about me? And I said, no, it is not about you. <laughs> so, All right, let's do it. And here it is. To it. Well, I know there's a place where what we can't say It fills up in silence All the words that we have kept down She dreams big But I would follow her where I go But nothing lasts forever Well, nothing lasts at all
from the Alan Parsons Project. You're listening to the Spud Goodman Project today. Spud, your last guest, Jason Ritter, is ready to go. All right. You know, Jason is the son of the late great actor John Ritter. Yeah. And I don't know if you're aware of his new show. Oh, yeah, Kevin Probably Saves the World on ABC. Yeah. It's on Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Okay. We Holcombs love it so far. It's on a little late for the kids, so we tape it on our VCR to watch on the weekends. Well, I hope someone saves the world from the 71-year-old spoiled brat now running this country. He is crazy. I have a winning temperament. I know how to win. Oh, I think our commander-in-chief has everything under control, Mrs. Jarvitz. You're going to get so tired of winning, you're going to say, Mr. President, please, we don't want to win anymore. It's too much. You know, don't pay attention to the fake news. Right. Just put Jason through, please. Here he is. Please say hello to actor Jason Ritter. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you now star in the ABC show, Kevin Probably Saves the World, which airs each Tuesday at 10, 9 central. And so you, you play Kevin who bottoms out after an empty life on Wall Street in New York and returns home to a, like a small town in Texas. Can you fill in a bit here? Yes, uh, that, that's exactly how it starts. And, uh, and pretty soon out of... Out of the sky, um, out of nowhere, this uh, this celestial being basically appears and says that uh, she's uh, she's a warrior for God, and that I have been selected to save uh, all of humanity. And oh. if I don't do it, it's going to be real bad. So, um, you know, my character can barely take care of himself. He's you know he's moved back into his childhood home with his twin sister and her niece, and. Uh, so, you know, asking to save anyone even more than himself uh, seems uh, like a pretty daunting task, but he's going to, he's trying. Dang, that's what I was thinking, you know, having to save the world, are, are you intimidated by the enormity of your task on the show? 
<laughs> yes, yes, I, I am, and and so is Kevin, and I think that was one of the things that I really liked about it is, uh, you know, there's this sort of he feels like a, he's written like a really, like you know, like a regular guy who has been put in this position and is you know as selfish as a regular guy is, and is sort of you know he's kind of a little bit. Uh, cynical and uh, you know he's sort of like is there anybody else who could do this than rather than me I don't I don't need <laughs> sounds like an average I was guy actually planning on watching TV this afternoon so uh... yeah. well <laughs> how many seasons do you think it's gonna take to save the world have the writers discussed it with this with you I mean is, is it a long-term thing that's gonna take maybe seven or eight seasons I would say 30 30 or 40 seasons okay uh, <laughs> no um, you know I think uh, I think I, I, I think it will take uh, a, a while um, and I, I hope it does take a while I hope we get the opportunity but uh, you know the, the the warrior for God says that that uh, I need to find 35 other uh, of these these righteous souls who by existing balance out humanity and um, so you know there's a there is a finite number of, of of people um so uh but hopefully we don't uh, just rifle through them and uh, you know i'm hopefully i'm not finding five at a time and we're done in several episodes yeah um, you don't want to do that That's, i'm not your agent but yeah so all right well let's let's deal a little <laughs> bit with your history you have you've led a, a very uh, you know an interesting life let's just put it that way your, your father john ritter was a truly beloved figure in the entertainment industry did mm. gotta ask you this did, did you ever hang out much on the three's company set as a kid Yes. Uh, well, my I, I was born about halfway into the uh, into that run, and um, my mom uh, Nancy was at every single taping of, of Three's Company. Uh, so she, when I was born, she brought me uh, to set. I I also wormed my way into the opening credits of the later years of Three's <laughs> Three's Company. Uh, but yeah, so I was I was around, but I don't remember much of it because I was a, a a baby. Well, thing I, I was I was gonna ask if they let you hit the craft services table because I know they had no idea you would one day be nominated for an Emmy, for, you know, yourself on Parenthood. So I just I just wondered if they oh. told you to get lost or, or if they were cool about it and let you share. <laughs> They, they let me. They let me uh, hang around. They let me stay. <laughs> all right, all right, super. Um, well, you know, as you were introduced to showbiz at an early age, uh, but you know, but what I was gonna say here is, you really kind of put in the time and the work in your career. You even studied at the Royal Academy of the Arts in London. So here's my question: Now your career is really rolling, but looking back, was there ever a fallback plan if it didn't work out? Something, maybe a plan B or something? If you know, if that happened. Um. You know, I. I I, I definitely I would have I, I, I would have fallen back on something, but I, I think that it, you know I, I realized at a certain point that uh, that I I loved to do the actual thing so much that that no matter in what capacity I was able to do it, whether it was you know even if it was me putting a hat out and getting a couple friends together at a park and just putting on weird shows. I think it, in some capacity I would have still continued to, to do this. But um, I, 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 I think if, I, if I, I would have gone back to school maybe and, and tried to do something in uh, maybe in psychology or something like that or social work, I, I, people is, is what my real passion is. I, I think that we're so weird and uh, fascinating. <laughs> and so I would have tried to do something where I'm around a lot of people and, uh, and you know, we're, we're trying to figure out uh, why we are the way we are. Ah, all right, so super. 
Well, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, th- this one's a little off topic, but I was I was wondering. You, you travel a lot, being in the entertainment industry. What's your take on buying a seat on that Virgin Galactic space flight? Are you thinking about buying a ticket? Because uh, if so, I maybe advise you to take the second one because I'm thinking the first one's going to be really bumpy. But uh, have you given any thought? <laughs> uh, this is crazy that you're asking me this question because I am obsessed with Virgin Galactic. I've been oh. going on that web- website. <laughs> Uh, like almost at least probably like at least once a month if not once a week just to check and see how everything's going the tickets right now are a little steep for, yeah. for me for me but too I have watched those uh, videos of you know he's going up into space and floating around for a while and going back down I it is it is so exciting to me that we're living in this time period where a civilian non astronaut can potentially go into space and float around in the next 10, 20 years is so exciting to me. Um, but again, a little steep on the ticket prices. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll wait until they <laughs> iron out all the bumps. And then when it's safe, uh, I'll, 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 I'll get a ticket. Yeah, I was kind of waiting. I mean, I don't want anything bad to happen. But if, if something uh, did occur, I was thinking the prices would really drop on the you know, next one. But that's just that's me. I have to be the bargain hunter. But anyway, all right. Well, that, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Spud, yeah, you know, hoping for a disaster to bring about a cheaper airfare ticket is somewhat offensive to many, including myself. Uh, Jason, uh, give me a moment here. I thought you weren't going to make anything further on this show about you. Well, People understand the principles of supply and demand. You know, if something's popular, the price goes up, and if, God forbid, you know, something bad happens with a product or service, suddenly that thing is on sale, like dirt cheap. Oh, that is so true, Spud. Way back after I got out of college, I bought a Corvair. You know, after it came out on the news that it was a death mobile when hit from right. behind. yeah. I mean, for a while, really, until they quit making them anymore, you could pick one up really cheap. You know, the way I look at it is the only people going up on that first commercial you know, flight in space will be all the members of that 1% Bernie Sanders keeps talking about. So who's going to miss them? I mean, besides their brokers and life extension physicians, eh, you know, just, just butt out of the conversation as I need to, to say goodbye to Jason. Okay, I'm back, and where'd I leave off? Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Let me remind everyone, then, that Kevin Probably Saves the World airs each Tuesday night on ABC at 10, 9 Central. Hey, man, thanks a lot for coming on our show. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Mr. Jason Ritter. My, how time flies. Has anyone noticed we have one freaking person of color on the staff of this show? Lawrence, our our public sector food critic. We kind of look like the NHL. I texted Lawrence, you know, to call in to see to see see if he's on the line right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he is holding for you, Spud. Hey, Lawrence, uh, we need your participation in the conversation, if that's okay. Hey, Spud. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, so, what are we talking about today? Um, I don't have a public sector food review this week, if yeah, that's I what know. you're wondering, because I, I had to take the week off. I got this bad case of food poisoning over at the cafeteria, you know, at a Homeland Security Department in D.C. there last week. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Yeah, I had to go through so many of these security clearances just to review their lunch menu. Right, let me tell you this. It totally sucked, too. They had this weak salad bar, the damn iceberg lettuce there, you know, ugh. I think it was the tapioca pudding that got me and gave me the runs a few days. I lost four and a half pounds. Everything 
bad that can happen to a person has happened to me. Well, sorry to hear that. So so we're talking about white privilege on the show, and I wanted your take. Do a lot of white people seem to be whiny little babies when it comes to admitting that they've had a bit of an advantage for a couple hundred years? I mean, I'm no historian, but I, I did see that Steven Spielberg's uh, Lincoln movie. You little b****s out there are going to go watch your TV and your movies. Uh, you know some I could talk about that white privilege, yeah, because when I did my seven-and-a-half-year stint, for art forgery beef there at Pelican Bay down yeah, in Cali, yeah. I saw that white privilege up close and personal. The white neo-Nazis there, they controlled the tier that was next to mine. Even the guards were afraid of them, so they got to do what they wanted to do most of the time in there. They like they had this ping pong table, right? And all we had in our area was a fold-out card table that we played cribbage on. Oh, Lawrence, that would have pissed me off for sure. Oh, hang on. Cribbage is a fun game. You know, often on game nights, our family will play that for a bit. It's not as fun as rummy. What's your name, scumbag? But we enjoy it. Well, you know, those white power dudes, they were pretty selfish. Because, you know, when we had movie night there, the rec rec room there, the recreation room, they hogged all the popcorn. We were lucky to get some of those unpopped kernels, those old maids at the bottom of the bag. Right. Well, who picked the movies? I'm just curious. Well, you know, the guys on my tears, you know, they, they didn't ask to see all all the Smokey and the Bandit movies that we had to sit through. You know, and we must have seen just about every one of the Mel Gibson and Chuck Norris movies, too. We did ask a couple of times to see one of those Denzel movies, but... We always heard they weren't available. Hell will freeze over. I got to tell you, we love most of Denzel Washington's movies in our house. Uh, really? There were, yeah, yeah, there were a few that we didn't care for, like uh, yeah, that Malcolm one he was in. It was a bit too strident for our taste. Very bitter, I must say. Oh, you bro, ain't got the answers. You ain't got the bro, answers. No, that's one of my favorite Spike Lee films. But Do the Right Thing is still my all-time fave. Hey, Lawrence, can you recommend anything I can do as a white guy to help out with the situation? Oh, well, hmm. yeah, that, that's a tough one. You know, well, I guess you are a bit privileged, I mean, because you yeah. have your own radio show and all that. But just right. promise me this. Promise me you won't shave your head and get a neck tattoo, all right? Yeah, why didn't you say so? Well, the woman who cuts what hair I have left has suggested I shave my head and go with the Vin Diesel look, but but I'm so pasty white, I think I, I'd look more like Uncle Fester. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, it's yeah, not funny. Spud, it is. it is really, it's too bad some of us are blessed with great hair, and others, <clears throat> such as yourself, are somewhat disadvantaged. I said, your hair looks stupid. Though, I gotta tell you, you seem to have toughed it out well in your life uh, so far. Oh, Spud, dear, I've always felt your horrible hair had a very significant impact on your formative years. If they'd have given you decent hair, who knows how much nicer of a person you would be today? Mm, Good question. Hey, listen, listen, I gotta go here, um, you know, well, I, not like to the bathroom, I don't mean that, but I'm, I'm meeting a buddy in a few minutes because he just bought a drone, and we're gonna see if we can modify it so that we can fly it to the moon, you know, and, right. and if, if we don't think it can make it back to Earth in one piece, then we're just gonna have to send it someplace else, because that, that thing wasn't cheap. All right, well, well, we'll talk to you next week uh, with your next public sector food review or whenever you're gonna do it. Where are you headed? Well, I, I think um, I think they're having me go over to Yellowstone. 
park and I'm going to check out the snack bar that they got here. They're over there. Man, I'm hoping that they have some the, that gluten-free stuff. Gluten-free. All right, bye all. Yeah. Bye. All right, you know, well, I guess I should sign off now, too, as I am really hungry, I got to say. So I am Spud Goodman. Be all that you can be, and I mean that. God bless and ciao. Bye-bye. Copyright 2017, Spud Goodman Productions.